today on Ag News Daily. That's one of the big reasons that I started uh, pursuing this degree is because I want to educate consumers and producers in other parts of the industry about the ranching side and about uh, real working cowboys and how that's still a thing. Good day, folks. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. Welcome to the Ag News Daily Podcast. How are you doing, Delaney? I'm good, Tanner. And I just want to remind folks we are brought to you today by Douglas Plant Health to unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield. Consider Douglas Plant Health. Tanner, I got to admit, uh, we were getting some snowflakes earlier today, and I'm not too keen on that. Yes, uh, we were talking all week about beautiful sunrises, and uh, that was not the case. Today. No, certainly not. It's gray and cloudy and everything is brown and dead still. But nobody listens to us for the weather. They've all got their favorite liar to listen to theirs. <laughs> Wait, did you just own. say their favorite liar? Oh, did that slip out? <laughs> you can't well, trust any of those people. Yeah, I've always questioned the weather because <laughs> it's like, how do you have a percentage of a chance of rain? Shouldn't it just be 50-50? It either rains or it doesn't. I've never been able to comprehend why they put a percentage chance on that stuff. Right. It's a simple math equation. It either you're getting wet or you're not. Right. Exactly what I think. That's too funny. I know way too many meteorologists, uh, so I can poke fun at them. I feel like I, because of those relationships, I can poke fun at the whole industry, right? That's fair. I think so. Uh-huh. Well, let's start off in Russia. Mr. Putin obviously continues to state if you want to buy products from Russia, you have to pay in rubles. And uh, it looks like Hungary is the first country that is going to break strides and pay for their gas supplies in rubles. So um, by doing that, they will have to open an account at the Russian's Gazprom Bank, transfer any of their euros or US dollars, and that bank will then convert them to rubles so that they can make their payment for gas. Um, But that is Putin's largest bat to swing because they supply nearly a third of Europe's gas. So as news agencies are reporting, energy is the most powerful lever at Putin's disposal. And it looks like we've got one of the first countries to not necessarily crumble down um, and not using the term bow down, but is going to uh, follow those rules, convert their money to rubles to get that purchased. It's interesting you talk about that. I was listening to some news the other day that was uh, suggesting a very similar story there, Tanner. But it's also interesting to note when you look at the Ukraine side of things, they're obviously continuing to have a difficult time getting things exported. And so I think we talked a little bit about it on the podcast either earlier this week, late last week, but just identifying new ways to get product out of the country. And one of those ways has been through rail. Just as a side note, Ukraine ports account for about 98% of the country's exports, but due to, of course, the invasion, those ports have been largely blocked and unable to function in these sort of capacity. And so exporters have been looking through ways or looking at ways to get product out of the country. And one of those ways has been through the West on rail to Poland, to that border there. And I believe I mentioned that on the podcast. However, here's an interesting component I didn't know until I read this in the news this morning. Apparently, Tanner, the rail system in Ukraine was largely built by Russia and the rail system in Poland 
measures different track widths than the train system that comes through Ukraine. So Russia built the network 10 centimeters wider through Ukraine. And so when you get to the Poland border, you literally have to jack the wagon, hopper wagons up manually to change them to fit the Polish tracks. I can't even quite fathom what this looks like, but essentially they're jacking the trains up, fixing, I think, the tracks underneath them and trying to align them so they fit physically on Poland's railway tracks. So it's certainly not a fast process by any means. And they said in the news that about 1,100 hopper cars are said to be backed up at the Ukraine border right now because of this infrastructure issue and the time it takes to physically change the tracks around. Yeah, so I, I came across that as well because of a TikTok that I had seen. And it is very interesting. They're not changing the tracks. They're changing the undercarriage or the right. chassis. So they're yes. picking the cars up, changing the wheel system underneath of them, and then sending them down the tracks. So uh, at that level, they is not very fast. They can do about 500 cars a day. What they are experimenting with is building infrastructure that is conveyors that might allow them to offload cars onto ah. others. Okay, but that only that only works with dry goods. That doesn't work with oils or other liquids, as those have to go through pumps. So until they get a pumping system figured out, all liquid rail cars will have to be lifted and have their undercarriages changed so that they can go down the rest of Europe's railway. And I, I couldn't believe that. I mean, I thought, how silly is that to think? But we are very blessed here in the United States to have a government that organized all of our railway systems to where everything lines up. But could you imagine thinking you're going to get things out by railway and just forgetting that minor detail that, oh, crap, we can't go beyond this border. We don't have a rail system to support these cars. Um, I, I couldn't believe it, but that is going to be a big hit to that and, exports coming out of Ukraine. Yeah, and you'd have to think, that Russia probably built it that way on purpose during the Soviet era, knowing full well that this could be an issue in the future as a way to yet again control some of those countries. Well, you're absolutely right. Even when you look at regular commerce, it is always going to slow down the transportation of goods in that direction out of Ukraine. Because that's not a new process. Those tracks just didn't get put down. So um, forever, I shouldn't say forever, for a long time, that's the way the Ukrainian government has exported. And that's also why a majority of the stuff goes out through the Black Sea. Yes, it certainly is. But Sandra, I tell you what, that's really all the, the Russia-Ukraine news I had for today. What else do you have for us? Well, I've got, I've got a couple of uh, energy-related pieces of news related to Russia. So Shell, the oil company, is set to write off nearly $5 billion in assets after their pullout of Russia. So I don't know if you touched on this in early March, but on March 8th, Shell was forced to publicly apologize for buying heavily discounted oil stocks from Russia prior to the invasion. So obviously, there was a fire sale. Russia was going to use the funding for their invasion of Ukraine, and a vast majority of those oil purchases came from the company Shell. Since then, they pulled out of Russia, and looking at their infrastructure costs and the 
ability to collect on their debts from purchases out of Russia, they're going to write off $5 billion. This is a higher guess, or this is a higher number than their original guess of 3.4, which was their estimate in middle of March. As their spokesperson said, this outweighs any divestment issues from reputational risk. Oh, let me start that over. As the spokesperson says, the divestment outweighs any reputational risk that they may have from continuing to partner with Russia as a source for their oil. Um, the Shell company based out of London states that they will continue to monitor the impact, but their shares have plummeted compare, in comparison to their competitor, BP. Yeah, and that's the big thing is because Russia has been you know, such a large player in the oil industry. A lot of companies are giving up, maybe not profits is the right word because they're still going to make money, but they're giving up a lot of business advantage by not doing business with Russia. And can you not blame them? I mean, at that right. time, there was there was no war. There was no invasion. It'd be just like our farmer listeners getting an opportunity to buy cheap anhydrous to only realize that the company they purchased it from two weeks later did something really terrible. Right. Yes, it's a interesting ethical and moral dilemma. Certainly. But to tie that right into... Uh, some news that I had seen coming across CNBC, the TV in the lobby, there's a lot of investors encouraging those who play with the stock market, and I'm using play in air quotes, to invest in fertilizer stocks because a substantial amount of companies saw a rather large increase in their value in the last three days. The three that are focused on in this Fidelity article are CF Industry Holdings, Inc., Mosaic Co. and Nutrien LTD, um, stating here that those three stocks are up more than 88% since the beginning of the year. And they're even bragging that these stocks may have limited downside. Their take is that even though fertilizer prices are high and fertilizer stocks appear to be tight, the shortages are expected to continue and the world can't go without food or fertilizer. So they're even telling investors now that even though fertilizer prices are high for farmers, that these companies, when it readjusts, are probably still going to be fairly stable. And that's, uh, you know, in this month's Ag Barometer, that was a reflection of one of the questions they asked, which was just, you know, what's your biggest concern? How do you feel about inputs? And it's just a lot of farmers are very aware and cognizant of the fact that things could go even higher yet, especially on the fertilizer front, Tanner. Yes, it's. It's nerve wracking for those who don't have inputs purchased or mm -hmm. who can't buy for in-season applications and still have to potentially hang out there for risk as to what side dressing needs may look like. Absolutely. But before I get to my next piece of news here, Tanner, I wanted to make sure we reminded folks that we are sponsored today by Douglas Plant Health. For many years, U.S. farmers in select markets have trusted SP1 as an integral part of their crops fertility program. And today, as fertilizer prices soar, we were just talking about it and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer, helping growers circumvent supply challenges while improving crop yield and profitability with TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, which you can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer using. Just visit dphbio.com for more information. 
Tanner, I tell you what, I am glad that you are a banker because you understand this stuff a whole heck of a lot better, I'm guessing, than I do. But I wanted to talk a little bit here about interest rates, the Fed's meeting, and the dollar index, because we had quite a bit of news coming out this week as the Federal Reserve's March 15th and 16th meeting notes were released this week. And it sounds like policymakers are continuing to mention that they may expedite interest rate hikes even quicker than they'd mentioned previously. We're watching that news followed by the fact that the dollar index traded lower yesterday, but today we saw fresh highs, 22-month highs on the dollar index set earlier today. And the 10-year treasury yields are also up not to highs yet, but uh, definitely at some of the highest levels that we've seen in a couple of years. And all of those things are weighing pretty heavily on the market today. I'm interested to get your take in that stuff, Tanner, because I know you watch it day to day a lot closer, I'm sure, than most of us do. Yeah, it's going to be a painful environment here for the short term. And short term is going to feel like a long term period uh, because borrowing capacities on both company and individual levels are going to get tightened because the extra interest rate increases are going to take excess cash flow out of the market. But that's the Fed's target. So right now, the Fed is looking at that 2% inflation as their goal. And inflation is running much, much higher than that. So one way that they use a tool to slow that back down is to raise rates. So if you raise interest rates and you have to borrow for a purchase, your money doesn't go as far because more of your money goes towards interest. You have to remember here that um, the mortgage rates for home purchasing, the largest holder of that is the US Treasury's market. And they have already shed about 4.6 trillion of their mortgage-backed holdings uh, to private investors as of the beginning of the month. But yeah, it it is, I'm not going to say nerve-wracking because at least the writing's on the wall, but all indicators from employment to uh, GDP and inflation are pointing towards the measures that the Fed will have to raise rates faster at a more rapid pace than what they were expecting. And that, that Delaney is going to shrink our balance sheet. You know, it just as a nation, um, when it takes more money to make the same amount of money, that doesn't go over very well. No, it certainly is a little bit nerve wracking from a consumer standpoint, too. You know, I was at the grocery store yesterday, two days ago, I guess now, and we don't buy a ton of like meat and stuff from the store because we get that through local processors, but we buy eggs and milk and all that stuff at this grocery store. And I went to go buy a gallon of chocolate milk and it was almost $7. Yeah. And that's not the only item. Right. I, I would expect all of our listeners to see inflated prices because just as the true free commerce works is if the company that is producing the product has to pay more in interest or has higher costs themselves, that just gets passed down the line ultimately to the consumer. It certainly does, Tanner. And Speaking of things getting passed down the line to the consumer, of course, poultry prices could potentially be impacted. Again, I don't buy a ton of meat at the grocery store, so I can't say if this has already been impacted, but I would suspect it has by the avian influenza losses that we're seeing across the Midwest and other portions of the United States. But, you know, we mentioned earlier, I think it was this week that we were on track to hit 2014-2015 numbers. We're at about 23 million birds cold right now. 
And back in 2014, 2015, we were at around 50 million birds cold. However, Secretary Vilsack says that he thinks losses are going to be significantly less than the 2014-15 epidemic, which is very uh, counteractive to news that we've been hearing and seeing and reporting on up to this point. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. Is that is that a publicity take or is there information that has not yet been divulged? Uh, yeah, that, that's a good question. He didn't really say why he thinks that, but nonetheless, he does think that. So, Very interesting. I just have a small last piece to add here before we jump into our conversation for today. Uh, India has the highest sugar consumption that they've ever had in a marketing year in country, and they're set to raise their export levels by more than 3%. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's an all-time high of 27.2 million tons, according to the Indian Sugar Mills Association. So these exports are expected to reach record levels with these mills already signing contracts to ship more than 7.2 million of those 27.2 tons of sugar overseas. So this is a large contract for Indian sugar and may actually create a shortage of stocks in India. Not a big deal on that side of things, but just a reminder that most of your sugar consumption comes out of cold drinks and ice cream. So another commodity that you would buy in a grocery store may go up in price. Well, speaking of tighter stocks, we've got the WASD April WASD report tomorrow coming out at 11 a.m. Central Time. And as you look at analyst expectations for that report, we're expecting to see corn carry out at about 1.41 billion bushels. So a little bit lower than last month, expecting to see corn stocks tighten there. And on the soybean side of the balance sheet, we are expecting to see the carry out tighten again, pretty substantially compared to last month, expecting to see a 262 million bushel carry out compared to last month's 285. And world ending stocks are also expected to tighten for corn and soybeans both. So could be an interesting ride tomorrow if we get numbers that folks weren't expecting. And that's typically how WASD reports go, Tanner. So, Right. You'd like to think it's not going to be a surprise, but there will still be an element that traders are looking forward for more forward momentum. Absolutely. But as we look at markets today, we're seeing quite a bit of mixed trade in the grain markets. Corn is lower in the old crop and finally seeing little strength in new crop, although not too terribly much flirting with neutral today. Soybeans are up pretty substantially across the board in both old and new crop and wheat is trading lower across all three complexes. Then in livestock today, we're seeing Mostly strength aside from, nope, pretty much all strength in the live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hog market. So seeing a little bit of uh, different action there today in the grain markets. And they're largely, I'm sure, waiting for what news we get out of tomorrow's WASD report, Tanner. But before we get into today's interview for today, I wanted to tease it up a little bit here. As I think we've talked about on the podcast, Ashton is leaving us, going off to her first big girl job. And so we're excited to welcome a new person, a new voice to the Ag News Daily podcast. We're going to be chatting with our new gal today, Cassidy Zirkel, who is finishing up her time at San Houston State University and joining us on the podcast, Tanner. So let's turn it over to our conversation with Cassidy. Let's do it. 
Well, folks, I'm very excited and a little bittersweet. Uh, I think a lot of us have talked about it on the podcast previously, but Ashton is going to be leaving us, getting our first full-time big girl job, but so excited to introduce a new voice and face to the Ag News Daily Podcast and Global Ag Network, Cassidy Zirkel, who is finishing up her time currently as we speak at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. Cassidy, welcome to the team. Thank you, Delaney. I'm so happy to be here. So Cassidy, let's talk a little bit about your background because I know you pretty well, I feel like, and just talking to you a few times here and there as we've uh, gotten you onboarded onto the team. But tell us a little bit about your background growing up in Texas. Yes, ma'am. So I grew up on ranches and feed yards throughout Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Arkansas. Uh, my dad is a fourth generation cowboy. So uh, agriculture kind of runs in my blood. I, I really love the industry and I really love beef cattle and ranching. And so it's kind of a different uh, aspect of the industry than I feel like uh, Ag News Daily has really focused on in the past, but I'm really excited to bring some of that to the podcast. I'm excited for that too, Cassidy, because uh, even the other podcasts that I host seems to be more directed towards the row crop farmer. And there is that in Texas, but there is a lot of agriculture that finds the stories of other industries inside of ag very interesting. So your background is going to be a fun resource, I think, for Ag News Daily to tap into. Yes, sir. And I think that I will learn a lot from being a part of the row crop uh, information y'all are sharing as well. I definitely did not grow up with a farming background, so there's a lot for me to learn in that side. Absolutely. And we're certainly excited to get you added into the mix. You'll be helping us with some social media management, some podcast interviews, and probably co-hosting with Tanner and I as we have busy schedules. And so do you. But you're finishing up your degree right now here in just about a month. You graduate from San Houston State University. And honestly, before I met you, I had not heard of that college in Huntsville, Texas. First of all, where is Huntsville, Texas? Yes, ma'am. We're a small D1, so a lot of people haven't heard of us. Uh, we're just north of Houston, uh, about, uh, I'd say about an hour north of Houston, about three miles south, I mean, three hours south of Dallas. Okay. Right in the middle of humidity and rain and hot right now. Yes. <laughs> no kidding. That would be a very humid area. So you mentioned your dad was kind of a quote unquote cowboy, which I love that you use that term, but you didn't grow up around traditional agricultural, conventional row crop operations. Why did you pick to decide to go into a degree with agricultural communications? Yes, ma'am. So like I said about my dad being a cowboy and how you, I love how you mentioned that uh, it was cool that I used that term because a lot of people don't even think that's a real term. So that's one of the big reasons that I started uh, pursuing this degree is because I want to educate consumers and producers in other parts of the industry about the ranching side and about uh, real working cowboys and how that's still a thing. And it's not just something of the past or something of storybooks and how we really care about our animals and we really work hard to provide food for America. And it looks like, Cassidy, that uh, part of your work experience was with a company called Teach Ag Texas, which I can only imagine is part of your desire is to spread this word about agriculture to anybody that I guess is willing to listen, right? 
Yes, sir, for sure. So Teacher Ag Texas' main goal is to promote the career of uh, ag teachers in Texas, which has never been a desire of mine to teach school. My mom is a teacher and I do not envy her at all. But <laughs> I love the idea of promoting any career in agriculture and promoting the education of agriculture. So with your connection to the um, communication side of things, I assume you're pretty fluent in social media platforms. Do you have a favorite platform that you enjoy using to promote messages like that? Oh, yes, sir. I love Instagram. I have two Instagram pages, my personal, and then I have one that's just focused around my personal blog. So I've been really uh, into that platform for a long time. And for educating and uh, advocating to a bit of the older generation. I also love Facebook. That's where a lot of my readers for my blog come from, uh, my parents and my family and things like that. Dana, I don't know if you've noticed, but Cassidy says yes, sir, and yes, ma'am a lot. I think I could get used to that. You know, every I did notice, and every time she says that I smile, I think, <laughs> I think that Southern Charm will do Ag News Daily a lot of benefit. I like it. I like it, Cassidy. We're not used to hearing that here in Iowa, but I wanted to make sure we reminded folks that we are sponsored today by Douglas Plant Health. For many years, U.S. farmers in select markets have trusted SP1 as an integral part of their crop's fertility program. And today, as fertilizer prices soar, we were just talking about it and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer, helping growers circumvent supply challenges while improving crop yield and profitability with TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, which you can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer using. Just visit dphbio.com for more information. You mentioned a couple of things there, your blog, your Instagram account. Tell us a little bit more about those two things. So my personal blog is called Running on Beef. Uh, I haven't mentioned before, but I run a track and cross country here at Sam Houston State. So while I was a student athlete, I wanted some way to combine uh, my running and my athletic uh, desires and stories, as well as my uh, agricultural background to kind of share what life is like as an ag student and an, as an athlete. So I run that blog and I started my running on beef Instagram to kind of help promote it. That is cool. Cassidy, I'm curious and it's probably more directed at Delaney. So as you spend your time with us here at Ag News Daily, is there something that you would like to learn or some value that Delaney or I could provide you during this experience? Yeah, for sure. I, I think, like I said before, uh, I really have a lot to learn in the row crop industry and just listening to the podcast for the past few weeks since uh, my first interview, I've learned so much. And as well as the markets, I took a livestock marketing class and it was probably the hardest class I've ever taken in my life. So <laughs> I'm excited to actually get to understand the stuff I learned in that class and actually know what I was doing after all that struggle. You may be light years ahead of me. We're both going to be learning from Delaney <laughs> on that side of it. <laughs> That's okay. I'm happy to carry the team because when I first started the podcast, I did not know a lot about the markets either. And it's been a love-hate relationship that we've had, but I feel like we've got a pretty good handle on it and people seem to like to tune in for that episode still. So certainly excited to teach you both uh, 
as much knowledge as I have, which still is not a lot, but Cassidy, we're really excited to have you join the team. And before we let you go for today, this is not the first or the last time people will be hearing from you, but you've mentioned your blog, you've mentioned your social media accounts, just so our listeners can tune in with you as well. Remind us, share with us again, all of those different handles and your blog again. Yeah, for sure. So my personal Instagram is Cass, not Cassie. If you want to see just some of my personal life, uh, my ag-based Instagram is running on beef. And then my blog can be found on WordPress. So it's runningonbeef.wordpress.com. And Delaney, I would assume as we put social media promotions out there about her, you will tag those accounts um, or Cassidy yourself will tag those <laughs> accounts so people can find you. Yes, sir. For sure. That's great. Well, welcome to the team. I'm excited to participate and be a co-host with you on some of these interviews. I'm excited to not only watch you grow, but also learn from you uh, as we both come from completely different backgrounds. Yes, I'm so excited to learn from both you and Delaney on all the different things that we have to share and collaborate on. Uh, I think it's going to be a great future for us. Well, again, a big thank you there to Cassidy. Certainly excited to have her be part of the team, Tanner. Absolutely. That was uh, a pleasure of mine. And I look forward to continuing to connect with her and partner up with her on some of these interviews to get her perspective on the guests that we talked to. Absolutely. I'm excited to have her... Uh... It's always good to have fresh perspective, I think, when scheduling interviews, because I do think sometimes we talk about a lot of the same topics, which they are important topics, but it's always interesting to hear and see a little bit more components of agriculture that perhaps you wouldn't normally think to talk about. Yeah, that will be a lot of fun. But we have talked enough for today, Delaney. What do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.